Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We are here with you throughout the course of this morning. We'll take you into the afternoon. There's no Prime Minister's questions today. Uh, That's right, because they're still on a recess down in Parliament. Uh, Probably quite a good idea, saving us a few bob, making sure that they don't spend too much time and too much money on their phones, too much time and too much money in the bars, too much time and too much money uh, making fun of one another. Uh, We're still going to try and find out exactly how... Uh, Keir Starmer managed to order £200 of takeaway curry uh, and not give it out to anyone because apparently it wasn't a party, obviously. Um, That's quite a lot of curry, that. Uh, Keir is backed into a coma is what it says on the front page, or not the front page, but the uh, the headline on the sun. Rather clever. Boris Johnson, of course, uh, appeared in the Ukrainian parliament where he got treated with a lot more respect than he does in his own parliament, uh, which will be coming back, of course, after the local elections will take place tomorrow. David Wooding, Sun on Sunday's political editor, joins us first up this morning. He's going to be walking us through precisely what the latest news is on Keir Starmer and his beer problem. Uh, also, what Boris Johnson is likely to face tomorrow when people go to the polls and decide whether to give him a bloody nose or just decide to vote on whether they want their bin collected more than once a month. We shall see. We'll continue our conversations about the NHS. This morning, uh, we are told uh, that hospitals have been instructed to lift all the COVID restrictions that they still have, which prevent people from visiting their relatives, which prevent people from seeing patients, which prevent people from going into hospitals without having a COVID test. Absolute madness. We heard some incredible stories yesterday uh, about what the uh, NHS is like uh, at point zero, ground zero. Uh, We'll continue to take those calls. So if you have stories for us, by all means, do let us know. We'll talk about the cost of living crisis. Boris Johnson says he's going to boost the economy. I'm not quite sure how he's going to do that. We'll talk about Dave Chappelle, uh, who's been attacked on stage at the Hollywood Bowl because somebody doesn't like his jokes. I mean, what sort of world are we living in where if you don't like what somebody's telling you and saying on a microphone, into a microphone on stage, you decide to attack him? Absolutely unreal. We'll play the footage of that coming up a little bit later on. Kevin O'Sullivan will be here. We shot Plank of the Week yesterday. Uh, He's got plenty to say about a great many things. Ben Habib as well will be around uh, to talk to me about how I got it wrong on the migrant crisis. Uh, I'm going to disagree with him, however, uh, but he's going to still have his view and we will share it here at Talk TV because that's what we do. What we do uh, is we allow everybody to have their say, and we particularly want to hear from you. 0344 499 1000 is the number. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV, uh, the newest and brightest television station in the land, and indeed on the entire planet. 
And what better way to start the morning by talking to our good friend, Mr. David Wooding, Sun on Sunday political editor, uh, a man who has seen plenty of governments come, plenty of governments go, sent plenty of local elections as well. David, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Morning, Mike. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. I suppose we should kick off with the uh, expected results from tomorrow. Uh, obviously, as in all things, councils for some reason don't count the votes very quickly, do they? So we probably won't know everything until perhaps sometime on Friday morning. Um, but there's been talk of Boris Johnson possibly losing 500 seats. What, what do you reckon is the latest sort of estimate? Well, yeah, anything over 350 is quite a problem for Boris Johnson. We, we, um, we think that that might trigger some kind of uh, resurgence of the uh, the discontented backbenchers mm. uh, who want to remove him. But they're going to have to think long and hard because um, they don't really know who they want as the next leader. There's one or two people who are saying, oh, well, let the process will decide who is best to do the job. But some people don't want to take that chance. And with Rishi Sunak sinking in the popularity polls after his... Uh, um, spring statement which went down like a lead balloon and then of course is uh, is personal financial affairs yes um, uh, they're not keen to uh, to make any changes just now amongst among a, a reasonable rump of backbenchers. No, quite. I mean, I had a, a bit of an insider's tip yesterday that Rishi was trying to gain some high ground by making himself available for photographers in the morning. You know how he doesn't like normally to have his picture taken, but on this occasion he was sort of prancing around hoping that somebody would take his picture and put it in the paper, but nobody bothered and nobody did because he's literally not even popular with the, with the snappers anymore. Um, but apparently Boris's interview yesterday uh, on uh, GMB has wound up a few Tories as well. Uh, they say that they're supposedly angry because he made a few gaffes. But, I mean, he is gaff-prone. I mean, that's that's what you get with Boris, isn't it? Well, it's factored in. Everybody knows he's uh, he's got um, dubious uh, personal morals, uh, that he's, um, he, he's not a details man, uh, and he drops the odd clangor. But he's got this X factor, people like him. And it's, it's quite interesting not, uh, talking about party gate, as it's been called. Uh, a lot of the criticism is coming from the... Uh, among voters in tomorrow's elections, I'm hearing from MPs out on the stump talking to people on the doorsteps. They're saying that they're getting a lot of uh, criticism from traditional Tories on the on the doorsteps. Uh, but when they go into the red wall seats, those former Labour voters who've switched to Boris, they don't think it matters, by and large. They're, right. they're, they're, they're still four square behind him. Yeah, well, exactly, exactly right. I mean, I mean, I was talking to a couple of people yesterday um, who are kind of, you know, mildly interested in politics, but but they were they were sort of everybody's in agreement that if we didn't have Boris Johnson as prime minister, the world would be a somewhat duller place. You know, unless you're a card-carrying member of the Labour Party, I think it's rather entertaining to have an M- uh, an MP and a, and a prime minister uh, who is the way Boris Johnson is because he's certainly unique. Absolutely. He's a, he's a huge character. The, the, the interesting thing I find, I've travelled around on general elections with several prime ministers, uh, is that there's a sort of deference about members of the public. Wow, the prime minister's here, they, they, they want to meet him and they, and they, 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 they want to shake, shake hands with the prime minister. Um, when Boris Johnson turns up, it's slapping him on the back. Uh, shouting, hey, Boris, give us a selfie. The, mm. the, the whole attitude is different. He's like a celebrity rather than the politician. Yeah, absolutely. Quite... And I mean, he did he did look magnificent yesterday talking to the Ukrainian parliament. As I said in the opener, he got more respect out of the Ukrainian parliament than he gets out of his own one. Yeah, um, I mean, he has led the way uh, in many in many areas of this uh, support for Ukraine, both uh, financially, uh, militarily, and also um, um 
personally, he's he's been out there backing them with words and deeds, and uh, that's, that's why Russia is so critical of uh, the British government because yeah. of Boris. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you reckon is going to be the case tomorrow? I mean, a lot of people are saying to me they're not going to bother voting because they can't really think of anyone to vote for because there is a certain um, disenchantment, if you like, with both the Tories and the Labour Party because despite Keir Starmer's kind of, you know, plea to, to everyone that he is the, uh, you know, he's the man, uh, he's the forensic kind of lawyer, he's the bloke that you should vote for because you can trust the Labour Party. Nobody really knows what they stand for. And also Beergate, for him, has, 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 has dropped him right in the brown stuff, hasn't it? Yeah, well, Beergate, it's, it's, it's a lot of good work by um, Richard Holden, the, uh, the MP for Durham, yeah. who's uh, raised questions with Durham police about this. Um, and what it seems to me is that it's not that dissimilar to what being criticised, what, what the, the charges being levelled at Boris Johnson and the, uh, and right. the Stafford. Please. It's clear that you were you were saying two hundred pounds in curries. Uh, I had a little look at the menu for this uh, restaurant where we provided the two hundred. Oh yeah. with. It's about nine pound, ten pound for a biryani, a, a, a buna, or right. a, those uh, dishes, and it's about three and a half pounds for a pilau rice. And they also ordered some naan bread. So if the average order was about seventeen pounds, that means there were at least twelve people who ordered curry at, uh, in, in at that event. Yes, nice. Uh, and, and I know Keir Starmer yesterday did about three interview rounds, and he was asked about ten times, twelve times in total, uh, whether the police have been back in touch with him again, and he dodged the question each time. Yeah. And his answer was strangely, um, well, you know, there are more important things people want to talk about. We want to talk about the cost of living crisis much more important things than this uh well hang on a minute i thought <laughs> the last five months you've been talking about boris johnson and his parties yeah. instead of so the tables have been turned on him quite dramatically and while some people might look at it through their political prism of, of who they support uh so if, if you're a labor voter you might say why oh this is not like boris at all but down inside, they will know that it's 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 not much different at all. Well, it really and, uh, isn't. And also, you know, the Labour line on this is clearly, uh, you know, coming from their press office, which is, you know, oh, the thing is that, you know, we might have had one party, but, you know, they had loads more, you know, as if that somehow uh, makes a difference yeah. to the actual individual offence. It's like saying, well, I only, you know, knocked one lady over the head with an iron bar. Uh, they've they've done it to about 15. Absolutely, Mike. You know. And the other, the other interesting element of this is, is the police. Uh, it's clear that Durham Police and Scotland Yard have a different bar uh, as yeah. to when to investigate this. And and, th and that raises questions of, well, are people in London being treated more severely uh, for, for breaking the COVID than people in the North East? Yeah, well, that's a good point as well, because also, even as we speak, David, the Metropolitan Police, as far as I'm aware, are still digging around inside Downing Street, going through filing cabinets, trying to look for emails and trying to interview people. And I mean, how much longer are they going to be doing that for? And then the questions are raised of, are they being political? Are they are they investigating Boris Johnson because they're being political? Yeah. Or, or in fact, are Durham police not investigating Keir Starmer because they're being political? The yeah. whole, it is a big question being asked the police. Now, that might be an unfair question because the police might just be doing their job and doing it, uh, assessing it on the facts and the way they see it. But there are clearly two different ways that this is being treated in different parts yes. of the country. Yes, and I mean, it is patently ridiculous but we live in ridiculous times you know the whole idea that we've got this massive cost of living crisis which boris is promising in the daily express which we'll get onto later because there's something to say about that uh with you personally i know um the point about all of it is, is that you know the cost of living crisis is a far bigger problem for an awful lot of people um 
These rules should never have been imposed. We're hearing today that anyone who was fined uh, for running a restaurant somehow in the wrong way, allowing too many people in, all of that, are all going to have their fines revoked. So the whole kind of, um, you know, paper house of cards is going to fall in on itself, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and, and what, what, what's happened with this uh, Keir Starmer gate? By the way, I love the headline in The Sun this morning. Keir is backed into a Backed into a call. It's brilliant, yeah. isn't it? Brilliant headline. Um, but I, I think... Uh, what what it's done is it, it it's sort of raised questions about well, really are we is this business in Downing Street a, a Labour? They say one rule for you, another rule for the rest of us. Mm. Well, this is what he's betrayed. He's, he's shown that it, he, he believes it should be one rule for Downing Street and one rule for the opposition. Right. So I think what it what it will do is just say well, hey, is this all? all a big storm in a teacup and they're all, all as bad as one another. Well, I think that's what the conclusion will be, which yeah. is why it might well end up being quite a low turnout, I think. And is this something to bring down a government over when the opposition or the government in waiting as they might see themselves yeah. behave in the same way? Well, I think, I think the answer to that is clearly no. I mean, there's no question that Beergate has helped Boris. But stay with us, David. Uh, we've got much more to talk about. Coming back very shortly uh, with the political editor of The Sun on Sunday, David Wooding. Uh, this is Talk TV. Nationwide, by your side, talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. We are here for your delectation uh, for the rest of time, basically. Uh, all the way through, uh, we've got Jeremy Carr, we've got Ian Collins, we've got Piers Morgan, uh, we've got Tom Newton Dunn, uh, we've got uh, The Talk as well coming up a little bit later on. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic. Daisy McAndrew, uh, we are, uh, if nothing else, all over the television every single place you can look and we're talking to david wooding right now son on sunday's political editor let's have a listen uh, to what happened yesterday boris johnson uh, gave an interview to susanna reed on gmb obviously waited until piers morgan had left before he decided to go and see them um she brought to his attention the living conditions of a pensioner called elsie she gets up early in the morning to use her freedom bus pass to stay on buses all day to avoid using energy at home what else should elsie cut back on well, I don't want Elsie to cut back on anything. Let's talk about about Elsie and what we're uh, what we're what we're doing. And I just remind you that the uh, the twenty four hour freedom bus pass was something that I actually introduced. Just just parenthetically. Marvelous. So Elsie should but, be grateful but, but, to you no, for her bus no, pass. But, but what there else is, there should she cut back on? Although you're quite right to point out that there is an inflationary risk and it's very severe, it could get worse, and that knocks on to interest rates, and that knocks on to the cost of borrowing for everybody. And I'm sorry to, to say this, but we have to be prudent in our approach. Boris Johnson, Prime Minister there, saying we have to be prudent in our approach. He's written the Daily Express today, David, um, that he's going to boost the economy. He's going to solve the uh, cost of living crisis by somehow boosting the economy. I'm not quite sure what he means by that, do you? No, clearly he wants to get um, Rishi Sunak to open his... Uh, is tightly clutched purse springs a little bit more, um, uh, which is, again, there's, there's, there's been this friction between the Prime Minister and the uh, Chancellor about spending. Uh, but it's it, it's very difficult with all the debts and the uh, post-pandemic which he faces. Um, I think what Boris Johnson was talking about, and perhaps we'll be learning the, the, the specifics in due course, was uh, coming up with some... Um, infrastructure investments to try and reinvigorate the economy, get things moving, because growth is the only way out of this. To stop inflation is growth. 
uh, and that's what he's going to go for. Yes, but I mean, even in my rudimentary understanding of economics, and I did actually do it at university, so I'm not a complete uh, dunce when it comes to economic theory, I'm not quite sure how you spend money you haven't got to get yourself out uh, of an inflationary yeah. spiral. And, and that's true. I mean, I mean, they tried that in Zimbabwe. It didn't end up too well. Yeah, there is no doubt that we. <laughs> <laughs> there is no doubt that we, we people are going to have to tie their belts. I yeah. mean, it's, it's obvious. I mean, and that that story about poor Elsie, the the, the lady on the the bus keeping warm, uh, is is an extreme version, of course, of, of, of people. But people will be going out less. People will be spending less. Yeah. Um, we cutting back on corners. They'll be more prudent on what they eat, on nights out, what they drink, everything. Although I must say, walking around London at the moment, you wouldn't know there was a cost of living crisis at all. It's never seen so busy. Yeah. Well, that's London, isn't it? It's a little island on its own. Yeah, well, it absolutely is. I mean, the other thing that came out of the, uh, the interview yesterday, which was being talked about a lot, of course, was that he apparently didn't know who Lorraine Kelly was. He said Lorraine who at the end, which was quite amusing. Yeah. Uh, Although I'm sure she won't find it amusing. Maybe a job, a job as a judge in the future, you know. The, the Beatles, who are they? Yes, absolutely right. And so, yeah, I mean, in terms of um, the way forward then after these elections, I mean, do you see any change whatsoever in the way that Boris will, con- will, con- will contort himself, if you like, uh, depending on what the result is? Well, uh, a lot depends on what happens over the next 48 hours really if if he loses and the shark starts circling again then we'll be into more leadership talk in the week ahead um so i think we have to wait to see what the, what those elections throw up and what the backbench tories want i think the bottom line is not really what happens in those elections it's whether they think they've got a new leader who can win the next election for them mm. in a more more convincingly than boris can um or in fact if they think that boris johnson is is doomed um, and that he's got to be removed immediately. Yeah. So, uh, that's and the other, the other story, of course, which is playing very well in, in all different forms of media is the, is the Rwanda story and the migrants. And this morning uh, we've got news from the government, which is that basically they're not going to be able to send anyone to Rwanda uh, for quite some time, possibly for months, it turns out. And many more migrants, illegal migrants, are arriving this week since the nine-day period of absence when they weren't arriving. Suddenly now they are again. So if it was a ruse just to sort of get get some uh, extra votes at the elections tomorrow, um, it didn't work. No, I know this is a massive setback. Uh, we were told at the time that they'd be removed within a month or so. Um, and if, they got, if they're now saying months, then people will uh, feel shortchanged by this policy, which despite all the criticism we, we, we heard from the Archbishop of Canterbury and others, it's quite popular out there with, with the general public. Oh, it is. In, um, Red Wall Street. Uh, they, they, they voted for Brexit. One of the reasons was because of uh, open doors migration, yeah. and this is a way of controlling it. So they need to get this one stepped up quickly if they, if they want to... Uh, but they're basically, I mean, they're basically blaming the human rights lawyers and the, and the sort of, you know, the charities that try uh, to welcome everybody uh, from whichever part of the world they've come from, no matter what their circumstances are. Um, but, I mean, they knew that that was going to be a challenge. They knew that they were going to face opposition from those types of groups. So surely all they've got to do is is say, well, we're not we're not listening to you. We're we're doing this policy. This policy has been carried out. It's the will of the people, and that's why we're going to go ahead and do it. So they, but they've sort of kind of fallen at the first hurdle. And the problem is, we are signed up to the human the European Convention on Human Rights. Now, Dominic Raab, the Justice Secretary, is already looking uh, at how he can circumnavigate that. Perhaps a, a British Bill of Rights, which will 
uh, be slightly different from uh, from from that one. Mm. The problem is, if we remove ourselves from the uh, European Convention, people will say we don't care about human rights. But the problem is, we all care about human rights. We care about people in Russia having no free speech, people being locked up in China, the Uyghur Muslims, you know, that sort of thing. The problem is, in this in Europe, it has become an industry yeah. for the lawyers to get rich, um, and they use the Human Rights uh, Act, uh, particularly since it was enshrined in law here, um, for all sorts of reasons mm. and is to stop migrants who uh, enter here illegally being kicked out. Yes, and also people in this country are very generous of spirit. They're very welcoming to all sorts of immigration, but illegal immigration is illegal immigration and it needs to stop. And quite frankly, people also care about the human rights of the population that are already here. And in fact, there's an awful lot of people who have uh, emigrated to Britain who have now become British citizens who are also as equally against these people coming illegally as anyone. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, we, we've shown our uh, compassion and our generosity uh, to the people of Ukraine. Um, loads of people asking to take them into their, offering to take them into their homes, um, and uh, lots of generous giving uh, through the charitable causes. So yes, the British people are not anti-migration, they're just anti-uncontrolled migration. Absolutely right. Now, one final piece of news, David, um, I hope you don't mind me mentioning um, that you're off, aren't you? So past is new. Yes, um, I've, I've been offered a new job and I'm, I'm moving on. But uh, yeah, uh, that, I'm waiting for my uh, departure date, but uh, I'm still here for the time being. But it's quite a big job you're going to do and uh, we hope to be able to keep in touch. Yes, I'm going to be editor of the uh, Sunday Express. Um, I'll probably be leaving in the next few months right. uh, to roll on. But big job, um, exciting, big challenge, yeah. lots to and looking forward to it. Excellent. Well, we must get together and celebrate it at some point soon. Yeah, I'll, I'll miss the sun on Sunday. It's a cracking paper. Great team. I talk TV. It's uh, it's full of people talking common sense. It is. Uh, and uh, I'm sure they'll carry on being strong, and uh, I'll miss them greatly. Fantastic stuff. David, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. David Woodings, Sun on Sunday's political editor uh, for a little bit longer, but not for uh, the rest of time. Uh, we are here, of course, until one o'clock. We want to hear from you. 0344 499 1000. We're going to talk NHS coming up because you know what? Finally, they've been listening to what I've been saying and hospitals are now being told, whatever you do, lift these ludicrous COVID restrictions because COVID is no more. This is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here at Talk TV. Now, uh, lots of things have happened since we were on the air yesterday. Not least, uh, very, very interesting reactions and some very... um, very welcome reactions to the show we did yesterday and all the calls we had about the NHS. We want to take more of those today because we are going to speak shortly to Martin Gower, former NHS Trust Chair. But before we do that, uh, let's have a talk about the culture wars that we so far uh, have covered for probably the best part of the last couple of years. Dave Chappelle uh, is a very big comedian uh, in the United States of America and also here. Uh, He's come under a lot of pressure recently. Uh, He has a special on Netflix, uh, which some trans activists tried to ban on the grounds that they thought that he was not saying things that were in any way conducive to a happy world. When in fact, what he was saying was the entire opposite to that. What he was saying uh, was that everybody should be less intolerant of one another and they should actually get along better. He was doing a show at the Hollywood Bowl. It was actually a Netflix comedy festival. Um, And whilst he was in the middle of doing it, some guy runs on stage and sort of launches himself right at him and tries to make sure uh, that he knocks him out. Now, I don't know why, 
the security people didn't stop him from hitting him. And I don't know how he managed to get up on stage because I was once nearly attacked on stage. But thanks to Dave Levine, uh, who is Jeremy uh, Carl's producer, uh, my um, honour was left intact and he managed to stop the guy before he could get to me. But he was within uh, a punching distance of me and he was some drunk who was at uh, a place in Camden called Dingwalls where I was doing a show. And uh, this guy tried to launch himself. Now, Dave Chappelle manages to get out of the way, more or less, and the guy's clearly probably drunk. I don't know. He gets then beaten to a pulp by the security guards and when he's carried out on an ambulance uh, to an ambulance it looks as though he's broken his arm and I think they were way too heavy with the guy um, but the point is the security are there not to beat the guy up after the event but to stop him from actually getting on there in the first place but the point about this surely uh, is that people now think it's okay to inflict physical violence on comedians it's like there's a war on comedy after Will Smith went up uh, and made that famous world famous slap uh, to Chris Rock at the Oscar ceremony, it seems as though everyone's been given a green light to punch people. Julia Hartley Brewer spoke about it this morning. You know, when Nigel Farage got milkshaked, when Tommy Robinson got milkshaked, people seem to think that's an OK thing to do. Well, it isn't, I'm afraid. If you want to have proper discourse, if you want to have proper, um, reasonable intellectual debate, then by all means have it. Disagree with each other, call each other names if you want, but don't go around punching people or throwing yourself at them because that is not the way a civilised society should work. If you don't agree with somebody, disagree. If you don't like somebody's comedy show, you can get up and walk out. But you don't commit an act of violence, do you? That would be stupid. Absolutely idiotic, quite frankly. So... Dave Chappelle hopefully will not be put off from doing shows, but they really need to make sure that he's protected from these absolute morons who think it's a good idea to do him some kind of injury. Absolute planks. We'll be doing planks coming up a little bit later on, so you'll hear more about that very, very shortly. Right now, though, let's talk about Martin. Uh, talk to Martin Gower and let's talk about the NHS. He's a former NHS Trust chair, of course. Martin, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. I don't know whether you heard our show yesterday, but we had some incredibly sad tales and, and horrible stories of people who had lost loved ones who um, either to COVID or to other things. And about It was based on the story that came out in The Times yesterday where uh, they described how many hospitals up and down the country are, have gone to rack and ruin um, and that they're in such a state of disrepair that, you know, the ceiling's collapsing, there's power cuts in the middle of operations there's people um having to deal with sewage running through uh, the walls and down into the floor and all sorts of horror stories right um today we see that uh, hospitals have been given instructions to stop with these covid restrictions that they're still imposing uh, and to get back to normal i mean how has the nhs managed to get into such a poor state well i, th I think it's interesting mike and I, I have listened to your your show yesterday um, I listened to Andy and Eleanor and John and Julie and Francis, um, and they were horrendous stories. Mm. I mean, it, well, I, I rather think that the state of the NHS's estate is really symptomatic of the state of the NHS. Yeah. Um, it, it, a lot of it is crumbling. It, it's old. Um, the, the, nothing like as much has been spent on either building new facilities, which in the in the yeah, I mean, you all know that in the in the private sector, if a building really doesn't work for the kind of business you've become, you move to another building. Yeah. Um, and, and very little of that has happened. The PFI thing that happened with a lot of hospitals during um, the, the, the kind of Tony Blair era hasn't helped uh, because that's tied up a lot of hospitals' finances uh, far, far too greatly. Um, 
you know it's cha really challenged their viability mm. um the the bureaucracy of getting capital projects approved is significant um you know you've got to produce a sort of 100 page business case um and then have that questioned by uh, NH, senior NHS people eventually it goes to the treasury the treasury has to say yes or no so it's all it's, it's complex and all the rest what I thought was interesting about Eleanor's article in the Times yesterday was that Jeremy Hunt was pontificating about the problem mm. he was the, he was the Secretary of State for six years yeah. uh, from 2012 to 2018 and I'm scratching my head to find out I mean I was working for the NHS for a lot of that time uh, as a chairman and actually I, I i cannot see that any great revolution in maintenance happened while he was the secretary of state either right. so in a way he is the last person to to be uh, making points about he hopes now it'll all be resolved with urgency well it, it's always been urgent it's always been an issue this is a really old, old problem. Yes, well, it is because, I mean, I said this way back when, even I think before COVID, that the NHS is in a permanent state of crisis because it doesn't appear to have uh, any decent planning. It doesn't appear to have any decent administration. And it doesn't appear to have anybody who's able to do anything or to make anything change. Yeah. Well, and, and of course, the difficulty is too, Mike, that obviously it is quite disruptive to try and refurbish while you're operating a hospital particularly under the rather extreme COVID conditions. Mm. Uh, you know, you, you've got to sort of siphon people out of one ward into another while you fix that. And, and then you've got to move people somewhere else temporarily. It can be done, but it is very, very complicated to do. Mm. And that slows it down as well. Um, but I think this, this, is a, uh, this is a catch up. It's a bit like the waiting lists. The waiting list for maintenance is, I can't remember what the figure was, um, yeah, but it was 9.2 billion, according right. to the Department of Health, waiting to be spent right. on maintenance just to make hospitals fit for purpose. And is that money there or uh, and not being spent or is it not there, therefore cannot be spent? Well, I rather suspect that the billions that have been added to the NHS's budget recently will probably not be spent on refurbishing hospitals. Um, some of it will be. They are. It, it, some of the work is being done. One of your callers, I think from Derbyshire, said, yesterday said that they were bu building and extending the hospital. Well, that's the other problem. These hospitals, the, the, the services that these hospitals gave 30 or 40 years ago were quite different to what they are today. And consequently, they keep on adding bits, mm. you know. You put an extension on here, maybe with a flat roof, on, and that it's really it make it it actually makes the hospital more complicated to work in. Mm. And I don't know whether you've been in the corridors of an acute hospital recently, Mike, but it's just a sea of of people with with their NHS badges on, walking up and down these corridors yeah. from place to place, and, and they're not really built. To, to fit today's services. No. I mean, what I do, uh, I haven't been inside a hospital really very recently at all. I was inside Guy's a little while ago, but Guy's, as you know, doesn't have an A&E department, but it's what it does have, and every day I walk past it in the afternoon, is a huge queue of ambulances um, which just appear to be sitting there waiting to dispatch their patients. And I don't really quite understand why they're always in a queue because surely you drive up, you take the patient out, you put them into the hospital, you drive off, and then the next guy comes, but they just seem to sit there. Yeah. I mean, the, the, in, in the last trust that I, that I was chairman of, they built a brand new hospital, 
Um, and that had been funded partly by the trust managing to make some reasonable mm. surpluses on their expenditure um, and, and partly by loan, which they were allowed to do under foundation trust status. But of course, they were also helped by the fact that it released a load of land from an old, completely inappropriate hospital, um, which was then developed by developers. And so some of the money also came in from getting rid of land. Mm. There is, as I understand it, quite a lot of unused space in the NHS, quite a lot of potential for development, and we need they need to get on and get over some of the hurdles of moving that along. Yes. One, yeah. one other point, Mike, is that if you change around the services, supposing you look at a hospital and say, well, this isn't really great for an A&E, what we'll do, we'll use this hospital for doing routine surgery. Yeah. So your hip replacements, all that sort of thing. What you will then get, if there's a risk of the of the A&E at that hospital, which probably doesn't operate very well at all, you will have the local MP, whatever whatever colour they are, I mean, political colour yes. they are, yeah. um, <laughs> Uh, that they will be out on the picket line with the Save Our NHS Brigade right. saying, don't let our hospital lose its A&E, right. as if having an A&E is everything. Right. This happened very close to me. I mean, one of the people, Jackie Smith, others in, in Redditch, I mean, they have changed the, the, the configuration of that hospital now, but it was a nightmare. Yeah. Um, and, and the same thing happened in Stafford. Stafford had a very bad record. There were a lot of people saying its services should have been taken down to, to, to zero or, or just used as outpatient units. Again, it was opposed. The A&E came along. It carried on. It was made only 12 hours a day or something. But actually, the political, the local political op opposition to changing very much in the NHS is one of the things that holds it back. Yes, no, I think that's absolutely right. But again, it's this kind of ludicrously kind of uh, heartfelt virtue signalling that I call it uh, that you know you mustn't touch the NHS it's our jewel in our crown well I'm sorry it is not the jewel in anybody's crown and if it's the best of Britain then we are in a very bad place indeed no nobody copies it um, I mean Eleanor make, made the point yesterday in the Times that the about how much more people spend on capital on in healthcare in other European countries yes but their systems largely their provision is largely private or charitably supported. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, they may have a, a free at the point of usage, the same as we do, but a lot of the hospitals are not run by the state. Hmm. So there's not political interference. They can raise the money, they can raise the income, and they get on and do it. And that's why they, frankly, have often have better health services than we do. Yeah, I mean, it's really quite shambolic, and uh, we will continue to press uh, Sajid Javid and anybody else that we can talk to, uh, Martin, to improve things uh, pretty sharpish, I think. Martin Gower, thank you very much indeed, former NHS Trust Chair. Uh, they're talking about the problem with hospitals, the problem uh, with the infrastructure of the NHS, and the problem, of course, as well, uh, with Jeremy Hunt telling everybody that we must now fix the NHS. Well, he was uh, Secretary of State for Health for six years, and he is one of the people who contributed to its demise, you'd have to say. But we will take your stories. 0344 499 1000. This is Talk TV. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV, the one place where you get common sense, the one place where you hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And I'll tell you why that is, because we hear it from you. Yesterday's show, I was bowled over by some of the stories that you were telling me, uh, some of them incredibly sad, incredibly moving, some of the things that people have had to put up with as a result of this useless thing we have in this country called the NHS. And I'm sorry, uh, that's what I'm now calling it. It is officially useless. Nothing works. People can't get their kids to the dentist. My kids' dentists have said they can only be seen during school hours, so they have to take time out of school to go to the dentist. Some people can't get in to see their relatives still. Today, the government's telling hospitals to remove all restrictions because COVID is done. They still haven't. What's going on? We heard from a guy who said that they only allow one visitor per hour into the hospital. That's not per patient, that's per building. So one person is allowed into the building, everybody else waits outside, and then when he comes out, somebody else goes in. I mean... It's like living in some kind of prehistoric Russia, for heaven's sake. 0344 499 1000. We've got lots to talk about this morning. Uh, we've got, of course, Tonya Buxton here with us, I'm delighted to say. Morning. Looking lovely. Thank Very you. nice to see you. I'm going to be celebrating real women today, by Ooh. the way, because I've got some news for you that you don't know about. But oh. I'm going to be celebrating real women because real women don't have to identify as women because you know they are women, right? Simple. So, the reason I'm going to celebrate real women, Jane Moore in The Sun, uh, who is a columnist. Um, yes. Sorry, Megan, Netflix realised if you go woke, you go broke. Brilliant, right? Fantastic column. Second column uh, is from Sarah Vine, uh, where she's saying about Ms. Kardashian, she's just a pound shop replica of Marilyn. Also true. Mm-hmm. Two great women columnists, so I'm celebrating great women columnists, and here you are. I mean, you should probably have a column as well. I think I should actually. But you like. t- certainly qualify as being a great woman. <laughs> Thank you. So welcome. I think you. I think I've done my time. You know, being I think so. A working woman, a mother, and I've felt that I've fought for women. Yes. And it's really nice to hear that our voices are still getting heard now because mm. it's all getting very blurry. It's getting extremely blurry, but I feel as though. The war on the woke uh, is upon us, and mm-hmm. I think uh, we're beginning to win it because I think more and more people are starting to realise how ludicrous the world of wokery is. Unbelievable. And But still, some people and some channels are trying to promote the wokeism. Yes. And they don't seem to get it mm. because they think it's popular, it's trendy, it's what they should be doing. They're continuing it. But we know, go woke, go mm. broke. Look at Netflix. Yeah. Look what's happening there. People want to hear 
a true debate. They want to hear an alternative view from what we're being force-fed by the mainstream media. Yes. And if everybody is just going Who to Who are be... all London-based, by the way. Yeah. And I include us in that. I mean, we're yeah. London-based. But the reason we're not London-based overall is because we listen to people on the outside. We get phone Your calls audience. from members Absolutely. of the public from all over the place, even in foreign countries. You know, people listen to us because this is the only place where they can do it. I can't tell you how many times, and you know this, I've been stopped in the street. I have a, I have a little slot on that I come mm. and chat to you, Mike. And the amount of times people have stopped me in the street and said, you know, Mike Graham has saved me, mm. and I love hearing your voice on there. It, you're speaking how I feel. No other mainstream media, no other newspaper or television or radio show is expressing how I'm feeling. Mm. I feel like I'm going mad till I turn on talk yeah. radio and I hear voices that are making sense to me. The land of common sense. Yes, and it really is. Um, Chris Evans told me the other day that I was a thinking man, a thinking woman's Piers Morgan. I think so. You, I'm gonna, I, I'm I, I like that. that. I like go it. With that. Yes. I'm going to go with that. Anyway, <laughs> look, so so you're here today. What do you want to talk about today? I wanted to talk about the obesity rates in Britain. Yes, because we're going to be the fattest country in Europe. Yes. I think so. We're going to be the fattest country in Europe. Yeah. Um, and this is something that I literally, quite literally, have been screaming about for a very, very long time. Mm. And there's no point in continuing to scream about it. I want to start getting things done yes. about it because if you're an adult and you're obese uh, that's the end of you you're just uh, you're an adult and you can you're responsible for yourself and get on with it yeah but it's the children that yeah. I'm concerned about right. it's the children that are obese the, the unbelievable growing rate of child obesity is mm. horrifying and it's not just about being fat as a child it is about the fact that you are more likely to get type 2 diabetes. You are more likely to get cancers, hormone cancers, because mm. fat is the thing that causes so many other ills. Right. I mean, we know from COVID, mm. if you're overweight, obese, morbidly you obese, more you are more to likely die. to die. Yeah. And so we know that being overweight is, is really bad for you. And so when children are overweight, when primary school children, we've got between the 10 and 11-year-olds, 25% of them are overweight mm. or obese right. in Britain. They, they, it's almost no hope for right. them because how are they going to bring that back? Yes. You know, it's up to us as the adults to help them. And the problem is, is that the government and bad food, big food, bad mm. food, have been brainwashing them and giving them misinformation yeah. and this is my bugbear yes and you've spoken about this before it's many many times the sugars and the artificial kind of sweeteners and all those terrible all, things but right? it's not just that so you so if you're a young mum and mm. you've had all this misinformation that's why i don't blame the parents completely mm. i blame the government and i don't like to blame the government for things right. but they have that if you look at the nhs guidance on how to eat it's so bad is it that ridiculous plate is so bad right. it they they need to get people who understand how to eat and mm. how our body functions and have no conflict when it comes to the food companies. Yes. Because there is a lot of conflict going on there. Mm. If Kellogg's, for example, or Weetabix or whatever they are, these companies, yeah. are the people that are funding the research on how to eat, mm. then, you know... Something's wrong there, right? Well, right. They're not and going to recommend that you don't eat their products, Exactly. And cereals are trash. Mm. No one should be eating cereals. Yeah. No one should be giving their children any form of cereal in the morning before they go to school. Yeah. It's full of salt and sugar. It's going to send them off and then send them sinking back down again. And the worst thing to me, the big And kids bugbear, love cereal. They do. Don't they? Because it's addictive. Yeah. Don't have it. Right. It's not real food. It's mm. rubbish. Don't yeah. eat cereal. I mean, both of my sons have gone through periods, not so much now because they're getting a bit older, where they would, that was literally all they would eat yes, was cereal. Because and it's addictive. Go, we have another bowl of cereal. What are you doing? Yeah, it's, and it's just pure fat and sugar and yeah. carbohydrates. 
carbohydrate and there's nothing good in it. And the other thing that's my big bugbear, mm. and I've had this conversation with you, but because this report's come out, because it's coming out again today, I feel it's really necessary to repeat it. Yes. Do not touch anything that's fortified. Mm. If it says fortified on it, it means that it has absolutely no nutrition. Yeah. It's complete and utter rubbish. It's empty calories. Yeah. And they've had to fortify it with synthetic vitamins yes. and minerals to make it worthy of being edible. Mm. But young mums or, or people who aren't aware of nutrition and they have been bombarded with all these different things all the time, yeah. think, oh gosh, it's, look, it's got vitamin E and vitamin D and vitamin right. D. Oh, I'll take this. Vitamins must be good. Vitamins must be good. But it's wrong. Mm. And this is where we've got to go right back to the beginning, go into schools and teach kids how yeah. to ki cook properly. Yeah. Teach them what's happened to home economics yes. in schools. Nobody well, I told anymore. you my story, didn't I? Oh, of, my, of my son going yeah. in and made a curry and they said it was the wrong kind of curry. And he'd actually made it from scratch. Instead of buying a pot and just Hadn't made it in. all the stuff that they'd said to put in it. But he'd made it because I go to uh, the spice market over yeah. there and I have all the spices at home and everything, you know, from, from you know, saffron to, you know, tamarind and everything. You know, I mean, all the, I mean, almost all everything you can think of. Borough Market's got a lovely spice market Oh, it's amazing, yeah. There, spice yeah. Mountain, it's called. Yeah. And... Um, and she refused to, to mark it as a, as a proper a of piece of work. Him, he Instead of applauding him, going, got, that's beautiful. He should have got A++++. Because yeah, plus, plus, they're not interested in, in individuality. No. They just want you to do what you're told. Yeah, and, and I'm well, afraid he doesn't like doing that. Well, a bit he, like me. He's your son. He's no doubt he's your son. But that's the main thing for me. And, and the problem is, is that lockdowns have and I and you to all your viewers out there who say Tonya Buxton is going on about lockdowns again I will never stop going on about lockdowns mm. till I have a guarantee that this will never happen again yes. and then the people that force us to lockdown stand up and take the blame mm. for all these things that are happening to people yes. all the deaths that we've had from cancer and other illnesses yeah. and the fact that all these children obesity rates have gone through the roof mm. because of lockdown because children were sitting at home snacking on food because they, and they weren't allowed out they were watching television they were watching these games which cause cortisone to you know if you're watching a kind of game that gets you going mm. you know all these um, all these hormones are being released in your body and yeah. you can't go out and run them off yes. with your friends they turn into fat mm. i mean it's been there's a study that's now proving that boys that game game spend long time gaming yeah. end up uh, developing fat around their breasts and they yes. get these moves because right. it's to do with the hormones that affect you whilst mm. you're gaming and right. your adrenaline's going sure so there's so much that it's, it's like lockdown pushed it made people it was the perfect thing to make people yeah. fat and sick yes but I talked about this and also with you at the beginning. And well. to eat more. But Mike, do you remember having these mm, conversations right at the beginning of lockdown when you asked me to come in and talk about things? Yeah. And I was telling you why I was so concerned about yes. lockdowns. And it's ex that's exactly yeah. what happened. I'm not the chief medical officer. No. I'm not, and yet Where I can is he, see this. Anyway? Oh, Where has he's he gone? disappeared. Where you is he didn't gone? see him much, did you? He's gone on a sign. He'll rear his ugly head again, no doubt. Mm. But the point is, is we have to really focus on what happened in lockdown yeah what's happening to our obesity rates what's happening to the health of our children and yeah. make sure it doesn't happen again and set put some markers in to help people of course people need guidance but and you help. know julia was talking about this this morning and you say it's not really the fault of the parents and i get that but she was saying you know all these kids who go to the kind of the fast food joints after school where are they getting the money from? Because those places are not cheap. And if you're going to get, you know, six pieces of chicken or something or go to McDonald's or get a Big Mac or whatever it is that they're, they're spending money on, it's not cheap to do that. Actually, some of, some of them are horrifically cheap. 
Some of them are. You can go well, to, yeah, sure, yeah, you go to one mean, of these chicken shop places and get uh, goodness knows what you're eating for a couple of quid. Mm. Uh, but the problem with that is, Mike, is this is a fourth meal yeah. that children don't need. Right. So they're having breakfast and lunch, and then they're having this fourth meal after school, and then they're going home and, and then they're having dinner. dinner yeah. So, you know, it's. I agree. Where are they getting the money from? Look, some parents, I agree, are to blame. But I do feel that most parents have had a lot of misinformation. Yeah. And so we need to kind of clean up all of this stuff. We need to clean it up. There should be no studies that are taken on that have been sponsored by anyone who mm. produces food. Yeah. It's got to be people that are completely unconflicted and have nothing to gain. But that's that hard to find in this day and age, isn't it? To find something which is completely and utterly unbiased because... Even the universities are sponsored by companies and countries well, that's, and all that's, of that, you know? Yeah, but, but when we were, you know, paying people trillions, trillions to stay at home and not work, yeah. that's where that money should have gone. And everyone says, oh, it's all very well saying in hindsight. I was saying it yeah. when we were in it. Yeah. You were saying it when we were yeah. in it. So exactly right. don't tell me about hindsight well, because I mean, we today, saw it then. Today's story, you know, hospitals and universities being told, get back to normal. So you, you're telling me that two and a half month two and a half years basically after the first lockdown practically these places are still not allowing you in or making you wear a mask or telling you you have to re- uh, learn remotely or you know we can't let you into the ho- i mean that one hospital where they let somebody in for one person a visitor and then you can't get another visitor in until that one's come out it's unreal what's going on do you know mike when i think about my mother-in-law and we are struggling in our family to deal with the fact yes. that we don't have my mother-in-law anymore because mm. she died because of lockdown she yeah. had late diagnosis it was too late and the things the hospitals were trying to do to her then were unbelievable mm. i am very very proud of the fact that i broke the law yeah waiting for my fine i think well, don't worry i'm going to stop you there because we have to stop we'll be back with tony buxton after this Talk Radio. Reach for the story. Radio with grown-up opinions. Don't get angry. Get on Talk Radio. The home of common sense. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Went a bit early then. That's unusual. Tony Buxton's here. Uh, Nice to see you. Sorry, I interrupted you as you were talking about your mother-in-law and what happened. I was just saying that, you know, as a family, we are in huge mourning. Yeah. Um, not just because we lost her, but I'm very proud of the fact that I did fake documents. They, they told us when once we knew she was dying, yeah. and we knew that she had, I find it quite upsetting actually, just weeks to live, that yeah. one person could go and see her twice a week. Right. She has my children, her grandchildren, her her, her sons, her daughter, yeah. her husband. One, She's dying now. Mm. And, and this is... This and is, you all know that. We all know that. So I fake documents and we went to see her every day. And yeah. I'm telling you that security guard, he knew it. And I looked at him and said, what are you going to do about it? I, yeah. I, we would not. We went Good to see her. And that is some comfort to mm. us. It's a real it comfort be, that we saw her. Because imagine if it hadn't been And possible. so I really, for the people that didn't, like yeah. some of the people that have been phoning into you that yeah. haven't, didn't get to see their mm. loved ones and they died because they were following these false, abusive, inhumane mm. and categorically wrong rules. Yeah. How do you live with it? I know. How do you live with that? People can't. I mean, people are really struggling, I think. Um, yeah, we're struggling as you know, a family. We had a call from a guy who didn't see his wife. Um, just now wants to know what the hell happened at the hospital and is trying to find out. But obviously feels terrible yeah. that he wasn't able to, to somehow make it possible to see her. He must wake up every morning. Mm. You know, first you, you realise you have your loss and second you realise what happened, yeah. what, what's going on. Everybody needs some closure on this mm. and we need heads to roll. Yeah, We need... The- it's not good enough. I mean, we've now had um, people say, oh, um, I think Boris Johnson more or less his, his, his excuse for... 
um, sending people out of hospitals and into care homes where they died of COVID uh, when we didn't really know what we were doing. That's his excuse. It's unacceptable. It really isn't, is it? It's absolutely unacceptable. And for me, maybe some of that might, you can accept some of it during that first, first early on lockdown. Mm. But this continued for nearly two years. It's an obscenity. And talking about things continuing, do you know that children only next week in Wales are able to take off their masks? Yes. And there are studies now showing that the lungs of people from these disposable plastic masks, Mm. they're showing plastic in people's lungs. So when when these children have something wrong with Mm. them in the future, it it will happen. Who, who's going to stand well, up? Well, you're not. I mean, we're that. not d- designed to be wearing masks all no. day. I mean, there are still countries though um, where they're making people wear them. You know, Italy, for example, I'm told is still operational. Well, we're in this mess partly because of Italy. If well, we yeah. hadn't rolled over and taken what China did, mm. and we'd kept to our pandemic planning, we wouldn't be there. But I think the the, the government saw how malleable people were, mm. and they did as they were told. And yeah. all the false graphics. Remember all those false graphics that we were getting from mm. Italy and from China. Yeah. And that's why people did it. Yeah. It was. It's all been completely completely wrong. Yes. And the fact that people continue to argue, well, I, I'm hearing conversations about people saying, well, we should have locked down earlier. And you're thinking, are you insane? Yes. Do you not understand? Just stop it. It didn't make any difference. It made no difference at all. Unbelievable. None at all. And when it comes to masks, there is no science that shows that it stops an airborne virus in any way, manner or form. No, exactly right. Let's end up with some good Something news. Something funny. Though, shall we? Walking yes. fast. Yes. May slow ageing. Yes. My he- father, you know, used to walk like a maniac. He was so quick. And he would also walk ahead of you. I mean, one time he was with my mother in Barcelona and somebody actually snatched her bag. Um, and he was so far ahead, he didn't even know. <laughs> but he saw this guy running past him with her bag and he started chasing him and he caught him and he got the bag. But, you know, he used to just, I mean, I used to play golf with him. Um, and people used to say that he walked so fast around the golf course that he was the only guy that hit the ball on the half volley because yeah. he'd actually get to it before it landed. I mean, he was amazing. He was really skinny. Really fit man all his life, you know. So it just shows you that if you if you're someone that kind of is a speedy person, a fast moving person, by the time you get to middle age, it'll make your kind of DNA age yeah. up to sixteen years younger. Okay. Because what we've got, we've got a certain amount of DNA, and we have something called telomeres at the end of our DNA. Mm. Imagine a shoelace. You know the plastic at the end of yes. a shoelace. Okay. So. Um, that starts to unravel as you get older. Mm. And then once it's unraveled completely, that's the end of it. And you. then it frays. And that's, <laughs> and, and that's the end cheerio. of it. So what you want to do is you want to stop it from getting any shorter. You want right. to keep the length of it. And okay. there are certain things that you can do to mm. help that. And, you know, being moving, kind of doing sprints, it's not just fast work, work walking. You can actually kind of help yourself by slowly building up to doing maybe just five or three sprints a week Mm. that will help you it doesn't matter what age you are just sprint it because it raises your heart rate and it's so good for you one of the other things that's proved to actually reverse so it reverses aging lengthens the hormones is um, if you go into a hyperbaric chamber you Mm. know these dive chambers that you can go into you can you you can go into you can there's lots of them around kind of London that you can go into people go in them for nerve damage or for injury um, and you can now get your own one they're very expensive but you can rent them so what's in Inside the hyperbaric chamber. So you go into the chamber and um, you put on a mask that's feeding you 100% oxygen right. and then it pressurises, the chamber pressurises. Okay. And so it's forcing the oxygen into your system. Okay. And that's allegedly, they've done some studies now in Israel and, and also in uh, New Zealand. Right. And that actually um, lengthens them. So it reverses the signs Although of Although it didn't aging. work for Michael Jackson, did it? No, it didn't work. <laughs> Mind you, that but, was because of all the other things he was doing. But my thing is, is you, everyone can do little things. Yes. Like if it's just walk a bit faster right. and you're going to lengthen your life. And it's not just about the length of your life. It's about the quality of your yeah. life. Because what's being proven here is that people that are 
busier and more active and do things like that are feeling better and yes. feel healthier so it's because who wants to live forever not being able to move and in pain no. you want to live for as long as you're happy and you can Absolutely. move and, and actually live properly yes and also just walking anyway even yeah. if you're not walking quickly I mean that's why I love cities so much because yeah. you can walk everywhere if you really want to yes you, can. you know the countryside not so much because I mean a lot of places like where, where, where I'm down in Sussex there's a lot of roads that don't even have pavements yeah. so you're kind of taking your life in your hands if yeah. you're actually walking along them um, but yeah I just think that um, that walking is very sort of underrated as a you it know because really I remember when I first lived in Manhattan um, and I was it was when the birth of gyms happened it was the you know you remember the 80s mm -hmm. when nobody really did anything like yeah. that and suddenly there were gyms and I used to see these people on these stairmasters. I'm like, you live in an apartment building, you're 30 floors up. Why don't you just go up and down the stairs yeah. instead of getting in that's the actually, lift? That's much harder, and, you know that. And joining you? a health club. Yeah. I mean, one of the things, I mean, you, you might not look at me and think, he looks quite fit, you know. But I've got stairs in my apartment building. So I go up and down three flights of stairs several times a day. Mm -hmm which actually is, is quite good for your respiratory, you know, thing. Cause it, cause, it's good you know, for everything. Because people who are not used to going upstairs get really out of breath. Yeah. And one of the things that's, that's uh, kind of rule in our family, and it's uh, is that we we try not to, I mean, not on this not in this building, but we try not to take lifts. Yes. So if we're, if we're away on holiday somewhere and we're on the fifth floor, then right. we, we have to walk up and down the stairs. And that just kind of makes you feel better. It also, you know, when you've had your holiday eating and drinking, you're kind of paying back a little bit. Yes. It's just get busy moving yes if you want to get busy living get busy moving yes absolutely right brilliant well great to see you tonya um we've got much more to talk about over the course of uh, have you seen dave Chappelle? by the way um i, I wanted to go ask you about that um and you know whether we now are living in a society where people think it's okay to be violent to somebody they don't agree with well look, i think will smith opened those floodgates yeah. didn't he because uh, as soon as he's did that he got award a standing ovation an award mm. for his oscar yes. so somewhere along the line people think it's okay if you don't say what you like you know that they can come up and slap you mm. or or be violent towards yeah. you this is where this is why because i mean you've we been quite brave debate. haven't you you've been out and about in yeah. places where you might come across people who disagree I have had with people you. Shouting at me. Have you? Yeah, I have. Un in I an unpleasant have. way. In an unpleasant way, I've had yeah. people shouting at me in an unpleasant way. I got called um, very early on when um, after I'd gone to a, some of the protests. I got yeah. called a granny killer, which is you that's know, just awful, the, isn't it? The, the, the disgustingness about that is yeah. beyond. And the stuff on, you about. probably get loads of horrible I get stuff lots, on social and media. I get I get the who is Tonya Buxton? Let me tell you who I am. Okay, I am a mother of four. Um, I was a school teacher in Tottenham, which is a challenging area. Yeah. I've worked stacking shelves for the minimum wage. Mm. I have worked in supermarkets and department stores for twelve-hour shifts. So I have lived a life, and I have a right to an opinion. Of course you do. Everybody's got a right to an opinion. That's what we do here at Talk TV. We want to hear your opinions as well. Uh, you know what the number is: oh three four four. 499-1000 because you know what we're not interested in is people who think because they are somebody uh, they can give you their opinion Tonya's an ordinary woman with an extraordinary um, skill and several skills actually um, so thank you very much thank we'll you see you next week um, this is Talk TV The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio Ben Habib is here uh, Ben a very good afternoon to you Good afternoon. Now, you and I last spoke, I think, when I was downstairs in the bunker uh, before we came back, uh, you know, a butterfly like out of the uh, the pooper. And here we are on television now uh, around the globe. Um, I'm, I'm not expecting you to be gloating here, but uh, you are. I'm gonna not tell, You are going to tell me that you were right, aren't you? <laughs> no, it's too early to gloat. It's way too early to gloat. But the indication is that it makes this new policy on 
uh, deporting people uh, out of the country, you know, it doesn't seem to have legs on it. Mm. And it always looked a bit dodgy from the beginning. And I always felt it was, you know, smoke and mirrors to distract from reality. Um, the idea that we could send wholesale the numbers of people coming across the channel into the UK to Rwanda, I mean, it just never really made sense to me. Um, and, um, you know, here we have it. Uh, we've already seen that there are going to be challenges to it. It's going to be months before this policy could even be implemented, if it ever is implemented in a practical sense. Um, and it seems to me it was put out there as a pre-election. And remember, we've got very important elections coming up tomorrow. Uh, a a pre-election stop to traditional Conservative voters. But you see, this is where you and I will differ, because if it was that, then surely they wouldn't have said today, the day before the election, oh, actually, we can't do it for months. Well, it wasn't them who said it, was it? It was, you know, the reality of the situation is now dawning. People are recognising that it's going to be months, you know, for the various court processes processes to proceed Mm. and really what what they have to do um i don't want to use politically inappropriate terminology but (laughs) the expression that comes to mind isn't repeatable i won't repeat it mike sorry what they have to do is to prevent the uh, would-be migrants coming onto uk shores in the first place before they get the benefit of the protection of british law and we are absolutely entitled to prevent them from crossing into our waters and we should prevent them from doing so. It's what I've always said. They should be, if necessary, escorted back to French coasts. Now, we can't take them on board our ships because the minute they come on board, they get protection under UK law. Mm. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with us making it utterly clear that if they seek to cross into British waters, they'll be towed back into French waters and towed back all the way, if necessary, to, you know, to the French coast. And that's what we should do. We should prevent the problem in the first place Mm. rather than trying to address it once it's on our shores. Yes, I think that's probably sensible. But equally, surely if the government was really interested in doing this, they would do it. I mean, it's simply the fact that they're not doing it which is causing the problem because coming up with the idea was fine. I think it was workable. I think it was practical. The Rwandan government was happy to take the the refugees. They've done it before. They've taken other migrants from other countries. The fact remains that the willingness of the government to do it is in question, and that's why it's not happening. Yeah, I mean, it always struck me as odd. And in a sense, this is where my antenna went up, that the government paid Rwanda... um, £120 million up front in order to do this scheme. If this was a genuinely viable scheme, profitable for Rwanda, made economic sense for them to do it, they wouldn't have insisted on £120 million up front. Mm. And it smacks, uh, you know, payment ahead of delivery of service, which, you know, in a, com- in a commercial sense, just doesn't, it, well, it doesn't make any mm. sense. Why would you pay ahead of, of delivery of service? It's because the Rwandans... I don't think ever really believe they take receipt of any, uh, you know, illegal immigrants, as it were, yeah. uh, onto their shores, and they wanted something up front for yes. the optics. 
Well, maybe you know, it was a, uh, maybe it was a bribe to just go along with it. I mean, you know, anything's possible, right? Well, that's that's the other way. <laughs> There's so many inappropriate statements that have flashed through my head that I've been unable to, to put out on on radio. No, quite on on TV, on TV. My goodness. On well, TV. listen, uh, and on radio as well. I mean, we are now a unique yeah. sort of hybrid. So, so that's brilliant. What about though um, these people who were saying? Um, that the reason they didn't come for nine days was, in fact, about the wind and the tide. Surely, if that was the case, um, you just recreate those conditions, don't you, somehow, in the channel. So you make the channel unnavigable, if you like. Um, so when it's calm, you somehow generate either wind and or wave power <laughs> to stop them coming. I don't know if that's possible. I mean, that would be a fine thing if we could do it. But, you know, why, why do we not have the will to protect our own borders? It's our, it's our right to protect our borders. These people, these people are seeking to enter British territory illegally. Mm. You wouldn't allow them to walk through Heathrow without going through immigration. And if they got to immigration at Heathrow and didn't have valid passports, papers and so on, they'd be turned back. Yeah. So why is it that we're so weak at our... At, at, it's because of the physicality required to prevent them from crossing. Yeah. But... But but we need to get physical. We need to make oh, it clear so. to them they can't they can't come into our waters. Yeah. And that's the point at which to do it. Because they're taking advantage of our good nature, effectively. The people traffickers are profiting in a criminal way. The gang culture uh, is, is growing because it means that many of the people who come here are going to be working in criminal gangs, which is surely, um, you know, enticing people to commit crime. You know, there's so much wrong with it. I, I likened it the other day. There's so talking, much. Yeah, to, to somebody. It's a bit like coming downstairs in the morning to find that there's a burglar uh, sitting in your living room. Uh, but instead of calling the police and kicking him out, you offer him a room upstairs. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, bear in mind, we have paid France something like a quarter of a million pounds now over the last few years, 50 million pounds alone last year, yeah. to do this job. And actually French policemen and uh, coast guards have just walked along the beaches watching these people themselves in their dinghies and done absolutely nothing about it. And I think it's time the British state effectively took France to task. And the way to do it is in a practical sense, not through the courts, in a practical sense, have British boats towing these people back to the French shore Put them back on French territory, and are the French boats? Uh, are the, is the French Navy really going to challenge us? Well, let's let's have it out with France. They've taken money. They've taken a quarter of a billion pounds from the United Kingdom. We've just spent another hundred and twenty million pounds on Rwanda. That is three hundred and seventy million pounds of British taxpayers' money mm. that's gone into failed schemes. For goodness' sake, develop a bit of a backbone and enforce our border. That's what needs to be done. It's simple. Yes. And um, we have the right to do it. The notion that we can't do it, by the way, is wrong. We have the right in international law to police our borders. Mm. Yes. But as you say, once the migrants land on the beaches or come into any um, a British-owned ship, like an RNLI ship um, or border force, uh, they are technically allowed to claim asylum. And at that point, yeah. we have to take that claim seriously, right? Yeah, at that, at that point, you're subject to international law on the subject, you know. And so what we've got to do is prevent the problem from being created in the first place. And that was what always struck me as being wrong about the Rwanda problem. It, it, it allowed the people to come onto our shore. Mm. You're going to have, you're bound to have protracted legal fights with um, not just the people, but all the bodies that support them, um, uh, you, you know, for bizarrely, in my view. And... And then you've got the costs associated with it. And then you've got all the optics, which no doubt would have come into play 
with these people going to Rwanda, not being treated well, there'd be case studies, they'd be all over our TV screens. And before you know it, you've got a kind of crisis going on of unnecessary government making. Yes. The best place to stop it is at our international border with France in the sea. That's yeah. where we should stop it. But there's also been calls by some to put more uh, forces, British forces as such, onto the French beaches. I mean, I've always said, again, a very simple solution uh, would be to stick a knife into any dinghy that you see and just make it, you know, impossible to get put in the water. Well, how difficult would it be for the French authorities to do that? Yeah. Very, very, If the French wanted to prevent this problem being created, they could easily do it. They've taken a quarter of a billion pounds of British taxpayers' money and done nothing about it. We've got loads of video evidence yeah. of French Coast Guard just walking up and down their beaches doing nothing, w watching these people launching. It's a travesty. And the prime minister needs to forget about complicated schemes that might be challenged in international courts. Yeah. What he needs to do is get robust with Macron, tell Macron to sling his hook, not pay him a penny and enforce our borders. Yeah, absolutely right. I couldn't agree with you more, Ben. Um, and I'm sorry that, uh, that this has not worked out, but I still think it could if only they would, as you say, get a backbone. Ben Habib, uh, Brexit Watch a chairman, of course, former MEP. And, you know, I can't believe how hopeless and useless the plans to get this working actually are. How many different plans have we seen? How many different promises have been made to us? Just incredible. Coming up next, Peter Cardwell's going to be here. Our political editor is going to talk us through what's happening in the local elections tomorrow and much else Besides, this is Talk TV. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.